This sermon is brought to you by Shofar Christian Church. We hope that you will be blessed by this message. Our audio and video sermons are also available on Shofar TV to download and share. So welcome to all of you that are streaming in on Facebook and on YouTube. It's great to have you here with us virtually. I just want to, um, yeah. Uh, as we were worshiping, there was um, I had the privilege in 2013 to go to uh, uh, one of the most persecuted countries in the world just for streaming sake. I'm not going to mention the name, but there we met a lady who um, who didn't understand any English. And she'd been fasting, I think she has shared the story a couple of times, that she'd been fasting for about 14 of the 21 days. She was planning to fast for, for 21 days just so that she could be baptized. But every time that we would worship, every time that we would pray, even though she didn't understand a word of English, she would just be crying. She would just be overcome and overwhelmed by the presence of God. And I, I just experienced a bit of that tonight. That, that despite of what we were singing, that the presence of God is so tangible here. And it's, and it's here amongst us. And yeah, that we would open our hearts, to min- that the Holy Spirit would minister to our hearts, open our ears and our eyes um, to hear what He has to say to us. So I've, I'm just going to adjust here a bit. Can everybody see the screen? Okay, so I've, I've titled the sermon, This is Love. Um, and we're going to just look at one piece of scripture from 1 John 4, verse 7 to 12. So if you like following within your Bible, you can open your Bible to that passage. Um, and you're welcome to take down some notes as well. And uh, the Apostle John is just the one that we want to go to when it talks about the love of God. But to, before we get into what John says about love, uh, you know, I want us to maybe just think of a moment, for, for a moment, and just think, what, what is love? How, how do we define love? How do you define love? And I ask that question because there, there's this variation in the way that we define love. So, you know, I, I can buy a new shirt or I can wear a new shirt and my friends will say, oh, they love that. Or I can be eating some great lasagna or whatever and I say, oh, I love that. Or I can say that I love my wife. Um, they all don't mean the same thing, Right? Not necessarily to the same extent. I don't love lasagna like I love my wife. Although lasagna is really great. But I think it's, I think um, this definition or how we define love has been watered down a bit just because we've become a bit lazy with the way that we throw the word love around. Um, And that being said, I want us then to look at what the Apostle John says and how he defines love. So I'm just going to read through the passage once and then we'll go through it verse for verse. From verse 7 it says, Beloved, let us love one another for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love 
does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent His, and God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and His love is perfected in us. And I love, it's, it, that's a, it's a, quite a mouthful um, to, to take in in one bite, but I'm so thankful for, uh, for scriptures like this that kind of break it up for us. So if we're going we're gonna to take it in three parts, um, from verse 7 and 8, verse 9 and 10, verse 11 and 12, um, the Apostle John makes it nice and easy and digestible for us when we break it up like that. And in verse 7, he says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. So there on, this, on the screen on the next slide, you can see that he says two things there. He says, Christians love because God is the origin of love. If you want to know where love comes from, it comes from the essence of who God is. And secondly, he says, love is the fruit of being born of God. So if God is the origin of love, right? Nothing exists before an origin. The origin of love is God, and we are then his people. Then we should be known for our love. Right? And I just want to throw something in here that it says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. Whoever loves has been born of God. And we could be tempted to say, okay, so anybody who loves or anybody who is kind, anybody who is nice, maybe, if we're very lazy with our definition of love, is then born of God. But that's not what John is saying. John is saying that love is not a prerequisite to being born of God. So it's not that if you love, then you are born of God. But it's rather, if you are born of God, then you will love because God is the origin of love. To make it a bit, to bring it home a bit more or in, in a more uh, real sense, if God is the origin of love, then his people should be marked by love. And I can explain it in this way, right? So I love food. Everybody has to do with food and probably loves food as well. So if you think of pizza and pasta, who do you think of? What nationality? Italians, right? If you think of brying, you think of South Africans. If you think of curry, you think of Indians, right? So are you really Italian if you can't make a good pizza or pasta? Or enjoy at least a good pizza or pasta? Are you really South African if you can't bry, if you can't enjoy a bry? Are you truly Christian if you have not love? That is what John is saying. That's the first statement that he says. God is love and if we are his people then we will be marked by love. We will be known for this love that we have. And we can see an example of it in the Gospels where, where Jesus shares the story of the Good Samaritan. And he's saying this love that is from God is always self-sacrificial. 
And the thing about this, this love that, that is from God is it's, it's not something that we can produce. It's not something that we can say, okay, you know, today I'm going to put on my good clothes, my love clothes, and I'm going to love the people around me, and I'm going to try my best to do so. Because that's not how God defines love. It's rather when God comes to live inside of us through the Holy Spirit that we can truly love, that we can truly give of ourselves. So in verse 8, he says, then the opposite, anyone who does not love God does not know God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. And this statement, God is love, J.I. Packer calls one of the most tremendous utterances in the Bible. The love which he shows to men and which Christians know and rejoice in is a revelation of his own inner being. And basically what J.I. Packer is saying is that the statement God is love, God doesn't wake up in the morning and say, okay, I'm going to put on my love coat and then I'm going to, I'm going to do an act of love. Rather what he's saying is that every single thing that God does is love because God is love. That's like, it blows your brain. Like we can't really conceptualize to, under, to think that someone is love. You know, so, so we can be loving sometimes, you know, when we feel like it and we're in a good mood, we can be loving to our housemates, to our friends. But we're not always that loving. God is always love because everything that he does is love. So from from, so, so, so John makes the statement, he kind of defines love, and he says, okay, this is what love is, this is where love comes from, and the people of God should be marked by it. And then he's like, okay, you might not get this at first, so I'm going to give you an example. And that's where he moves to verse 9, and, it, and, and it's the second point, and it says the supreme love of the cross, the example of the love of Christ on the cross. I'm going I'm to spell it out for you, this is what John is saying. And in verse 9 he says, In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. This is, okay, you know where love comes from. But if you want to see love in action, this is love manifested, that God sent His only Son into the world that we might live through through him. And then in verse 10 he says, In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that God has loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. So, and he's saying God's love is not vague, it's not abstract, it's not just a mushy, warm feeling, but we can actually see concrete expression thereof in the life of Christ. If we look at Christ's life and his ministry and his death, his resurrection and his ascension, we can see love being manifest. That's what verse 9 says. And in this love, this love of Christ, we see two things, two very important things when it comes to defining love and seeing it in action is that the love of Christ is self-sacrificial and it's always for the benefit of others. You see, it's, it's easier for us to love someone when we know we're going to get something in return. Right? I give, you give back, I scratch your back, you scratch mine. That's, that's, you know, it's 
unfortunately how we've defined love because it's what what can i get out of it if i love you what can i get out of it you know what benefit do i get from it but in christ's life we see that he doesn't love for the benefit we see the contrary he puts himself on the line so that others can have the benefit and then in verse 10 he he makes this deeply theological statement which i think paul makes very easier and in simpler terms in Romans 5 verse 8. I think it is there on the screen on the next slide. He says, God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's what that word propitiation means. That because we were born into sin and God is a holy God, he has to serve justice on that sin. And that justice is then wrath. So we actually all deserved the wrath of God, right? And what, this, what these two verses are saying is that it wasn't our love for God that made him send his son, but it was his love for us that while we were still sinners, while we were supposed to receive the wrath of God, God said, you know what, I love you so much that I'm going to send my son not just to come and save you and wave a magic wand over everything so that everything will be better, but I'm going to send my son that he would give his life. It's like, because justice has to be served. So if I say to you, if I bring a criminal in here who is like the worst criminal in the world, and he um, says, oh, he, he has raped X amount of people and murdered X amount of people and done just like the worst and we stand in a court and the judge says, you know what, because I'm feeling loving, I'm just going to wave a wand over it and you can just walk the streets. Justice would not be served, right? You can agree. Like, We would not feel that justice has been done if the judge says that. But if the judge says, you know, this guy has to go to prison for life, he's never going to see daylight again, we would feel, okay, justice has been done. And that's us. We were supposed to be sent to prison for life. But God sends His Son and Jesus dies. On, he lives a perfect, sinless life. Dies on the cross. Is resurrected and is ascended. Is now seated at the right hand of the Father. And He says, I'm going to absorb all that wrath. All that justice that is supposed to be poured out on us. That's supposed to be served to us. I'm going to take that upon me. For your sake. That while you were still my enemy... All of us, while we were the enemies of God, God did this for us and He sent His Son. And John's saying that this is the ultimate example of love. How deep is that love for us? That while we were still sinners, while we were enemies of God, deserving judgment, God says, you know what, I'm going to put myself on the cross and absorb all that wrath so that justice is served, so that you can live, so that you can etern have eternal life, that you would not perish. And from this place, John then says, okay, we've seen the, uh, the, the definition of, of love. You've kind of got an idea of that. You've seen it personified in the life of Christ. Now go do it. In the third section, he says the, the practice of love, verse 11. He says, beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. You see, love is the motivation for God to save us, for Him to send His Son. 
Love is the motivation for us to respond to God, to say yes to His will, to say yes to His ways, to worship Him. Love is the motivation because we've received that love from God. And thirdly, love, for, love is the motivation for us to love one another, to love the people around us, and not only the people that we like, but the people who are our enemies, who we dislike even, but to love them. And this is the thing, like, when, I, when we started, we said that love, well, I, sa I said that love has been watered down the definition thereof. And I, and I say that because when we talk about love, primarily we talk about the feeling of love, this warm feeling of saying like, oh, I feel good about myself, you know, or I feel good because someone did something toward me. But what John is saying is that love must lead to action. Love must always lead to action. It is not passive. In verse 12 he says, No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and His love is perfected in us. If no one has ever seen God, then how can we see God? And I think on the slide there will, there's, three, there's three places where we can see God. We can see it in nature. So, for me, when I look around and I look at the mountains and the rain and I, and I look at the animals, like, for instance, for me, the most amazing thing is to see a bird spread its wings. I'm just like, that didn't come from nothing. Someone designed that for a bird to be able to fly. And in nature, I see that God is. I see that He is. But in, when, if I see that God exists because of nature around me and how things work together, just your body, like how intricately your body works together to make you live, like the fact that you don't have to think about breathing right now and that it just happens by itself. How amazing is that? Now everybody's thinking, how do I breathe? <laughs> okay. But in nature we can see that God is. But in nature we cannot see who God is. And that's where we come to Scripture. That's where we come to the Bible. And in the Bible we see not only who God is, but we see what His plan is for humanity. What His plan is for eternity. What His plan is for us. So, when we think about who, how we can see God, the primary place that we want to go to is here. Because in this, we know who God is and what His plan is. And thirdly, we see God in the community of faith. We see how God loves and how He operates when we look at the community of faith. And we see how brothers and sisters in Christ interact with one another. And we see this is how God loves His people. This is, how God, this is God's heart for us. And that's the way for God to be seen or recognized. For, for people around us to see that God is real... For this to happen is for Christians to actively and aggressively care for one another. And, and I think a great testimony of that is just how the church, not specifically only Shofar Stellenbosch, but like the churches in Stellenbosch and throughout the country have really like pulled together in this COVID time to provide and, and take care and love the community around them. It's just so amazing for me. Like I'm so inspired by the church's response to, to the need in this time. 
Like just hearing story after story of churches providing for the people around them. Like, you know, people losing their jobs and their businesses, but they're still giving money so that we can provide food for people that don't have food, so that we can, you know, um, look for jobs for people who don't have jobs, and the community of faith coming together. This is the evidence of love in our communities. And there's this, there's this beautiful story that Tim Keller shares um, that kind of brings it home for me really, really nicely. So he shares the story and he, he's preaching a couple of weeks in, in a row and he sees a lady walk in uh, through the back door and he knows and he notices, but she's not, she's not a member here. She's not, she's not really in church because she doesn't seem all that comfortable. And, and right after every service, she, she just bullets out the back door and he's like, okay, I don't think this lady is really in church with us, but I wonder what's happened in her life that she's visiting us week after week. And, and one day... Coincidentally, he bumps into her after the service, um, and he and he greets her and he asks her, you know, how did you hear about our church? And she tells him the story that she started a job in film media. So she was like a, a media producer for people who produce films, and two months into the job, she makes a career-ending mistake. Like, she knows this mistake cost her a job for sure. Like, the company lost money, lost reputation, she's finished. So they set up a meeting to talk about this mistake that she'd made. And they say it's the Wednesday, 9 o'clock. Wednesday, 9 o'clock, she walks in, and her manager is sitting there, and her manager, her superior, is a guy who is, like, really in good reputation with the people, with the management of the company. Like he's that go-to guy, that guy that everybody goes to when they have a problem, excuse me, when they have a problem or if they need something to be solved or, if, you know, they just, they need to rely on someone, they go to this guy. It's a superior. And she walks in ready to be fired and before the meeting starts, he says, before we start, I just want to say something. I just want to say that this was none of her fault. It was all my fault. I didn't train her, I didn't equip her, I didn't supervise her during this job, and she was actually only two months in, so I should have been there to cover for her, I should have been there to show her the ropes. So it's my fault, um, I take complete blame for this, she had nothing to do with it, it's, it's my fault. And she doesn't get fired. And she's just wandering around, she's like, what made this guy do this for, for me? And she walks into his office and she's like, man, why did you do that? And he's like, no, don't worry about it. Like, it's over and done. Let's not talk about it. You're, you've got your job. I've got my job. And the thing is, this guy actually lost, like, serious reputation with the people. Like, it wasn't just, you know, as normal for him. Like, he wasn't that go-to guy anymore because they were thinking, can we really trust him? He's not overseeing what the job that he's supposed to be overseeing. And this lady walks around for another couple of days and she just can't get it out of her brain why did this guy do this? And she goes into his office again and she's, she demands an answer. And she's like, why did you do this? Because I've been working in this industry for 10 to 15 years. And my superiors have always taken credit for the things that I've done well. And they've always blame shifted the things that have gone wrong onto me. That's human nature. That's how humans work. Why did you do what you did? 
And I love his response. He says, okay, I'm only, I'm only going to tell you this because you forced it out of me, but I'm a Christian. <laughs> and because Jesus loved me and gave his life for me while I was a sinner, that's the love that I need to have for the people around me. And the next question she asked is, what church do you go to? And that's where she slotted into Redeemer Presbyterian Church in New York. What a testimony of the love of God manifesting. Wouldn't, wouldn't we want our community to look like that? Where people are coming to, to know Jesus and coming to slot into the community of faith because of this love that we have for the people around us that doesn't focus on our needs but focuses on their needs. You see, if we look at the love of God and the love that He had for us, there's a couple of things that we need to respond to and certain ways that we need to respond. So because God loved us first, we didn't love Him first, we didn't persuade Him to love us, He loved us first. His love is initiating, therefore in this world our love needs to be the initiating love. So when nobody wants to put up their hand to feed the poor and the needy, the church needs to put up their hand to feed the poor and the needy. When people are going through difficult times and like this and people are depressed and isolated at home, ours needs to be the initiating love where we say we will go. We will go and love the world. He loved Jesus now. He loved those who hated him. We cannot excuse ourselves from love because people are difficult. And how often do we not do this? I think I'm the number one culprit. Oh, that guy, that lady, she's so difficult. Her personality and my personality, we don't get on so well. She's so difficult to love. So what? God's command is love. And more than His command is because of this love that He has for us. It's the motivation for us to love others. Because we've been forgiven of so much, we can forgive others. If a sinless God can love sinful people, then surely sinful people that are born again can love other sinful people. He loved those who were different than He is. And no human will ever be more different from us than we are from God. Our love must not be limited to those who we like. His love is accomplished. His love accomplished what was best for us, even though it was not what we wanted at the time. His love continued when it was not convenient. You know, this is this is probably one of the ones that challenges me the most. When, um, you know, just a just a moment of of vulnerability that this afternoon I was preparing and I was worshiping, um, and I was like. My brain was a bit everywhere, and, and as I started focusing, as I started feeling like, okay, now I'm getting going, the, the steam train is, is uh, on, on the roll, and all of a sudden the bell rings, and it's a lady who is in, in trouble, and, and it was inconvenient for me, because I was like, oh, but the presence of God, and th this lady, and I said no to her, and, and, and I don't know if I should feel bad about that or not, but I'm still dealing, I'm working through it, but... <laughs> But the point is, is like, how quick are we to say, ah, it's not convenient for me to love. It's not convenient for me to, to be there for this person or that person. I don't, I don't like them that much. His love perseveres even though we wrong and offend him. 
And he loved at extreme cost. And the last point in our response to God's love is that he didn't just, God wasn't just up in heaven on his throne and said, you know what, I feel so much love for the people of the world and just watched us perish. His love found concrete expression when he sent his son. He didn't just say, oh, you know what, I feel so, yes, I, there's just so much love in my heart for them and he did nothing about it. No, no, no. He felt that love, but it led to him sending his son, so that John 3.16, so that we would have eternal life and that we would not perish. This is love. And this is the love that we need to embrace. As I, as I start to as I close, uh, it's very interesting that, that one of the church fathers, Tertullian, if you don't know who that is, go Google it. If you don't want to, you don't need to. It's not essential to your faith. But um, he, he, was a, he was an intellectual of his time. One of the early church fathers did amazing work for the growth of the church. But in a time and in a, in a community, in the Roman Greco um, community, where, where studying the scriptures, so, so in Acts 17, uh, Paul talks to the philosophers and the Stoics. And there they say, you know, that the, the culture was to, to learn something new. So when, everybody, so whenever someone had a new philosophy or a new thing, they would bring it and they would study it. They would like dig into it. So, so that was the culture. And this was the, what was happening with a lot of uh, philosophers is that they were, they were, the gospel was being brought forth to them and they were being saved in this way by hearing the gospel. And this guy who's a very big intellectual, Tertullian, says that it wasn't his study of scripture that brought him to Christ, but it was the life of the Christians and the community of faith that he saw and he was like, I want that, I covet that. That is real life. And how great would it be if the people of Stellenbosch would look at our community of faith and say, we want that. We need that. That's what John is saying. That because we have experienced this love of God, this forgiving love of God that has brought us and made us children of Him and has given us so much security so much affirmation that we feel. It shouldn't just stay as a feeling. It shouldn't just stay as an emotion, but that it should be transferred into the lives that we live so that the people around us would see the love of God manifest in our actions and in our words, not only in our emotions. This is why the church exists and gathers and worships to love God and to love the people around us. And in Matthew 28, Jesus sends the disciples and he says, Go into all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And behold, I will be with you till the end of the age. And his message is still the same to us. He says, Go and preach the gospel. Go and love well. Go and love self sacrificially. And I will be with you. It might be uncomfortable. It might not suit your daily routine. But for the past couple of weeks, we've been preaching about following Jesus. We've been preaching about, um, hearing preaching about uh, 
occupying the lowlands, of being obedient unto God. And it's a basic thing, you know. We, you, you might sit there and you might be like, oh, love, I've heard a million sermons about love. But if we depart from love, if we depart from the self-sacrificial love of God, then we have nothing. The Word says it. Then we're just loud, clanging cymbals. And that became, that uh, picture became very real to me that I now have a five-month-old child. Right? So she's not a clanging cymbal, but she's a loud baby. Right? And, it, and it, it's in my ears, and sometimes I'm like, can you just keep quiet? <laughs> but if we have not love, the world will look at us and say, can you just stop what you're doing? Can you just keep quiet? If we have love, the world will say, we want that. Not just our definition of love, but this deep love that the Apostle John is talking about. The love that is indwelt in us through God saving us. Love is the motivation of our lives. It's the place that we start, the place that we end, the place that we just keep going. Would you stand as we close? Thank you for listening. Remember that our sermon audio and videos are also available on Shofar TV. Go to www.shofaronline.tv to download and share.